happy Easter season. Let us remember the words of uh, Psalm 122, verses 18 to Psalm 118, verses 22 to 24. The same stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. On this day the Lord has acted. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I want us to look at the, uh, the first reading, the reading from Acts chapter 9, and think about his voice. The first observation in that passage that Brian read is that uh, there's two incidents in this passage of where we hear Christ speaking directly to an individual. And remember that this was after he had died, risen again, and uh, ascended into heaven. This was after the day of Pentecost. So we know that the Lord is in heaven and uh, seated to the right hand of the Father, but yet and we see twice where he's speaking to an individual, and that's just uh, to remind us that God is still speaking today. <clears throat> as much as we believe he still speaks, and... And I think he is speaking a lot more than we hear him. We just don't stop often long, long enough to hear and listen. Uh, we, however, don't want to fall into the trap of becoming glib about it and tacking on the Lord told me to everything, that opinion that we come up with, because we need to remember the third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So just a caution not to overuse that uh, the Lord told me things unless you really know in your heart that it, you really have heard a specific word from the Lord. Purely secular, non-religious people can also have illumination of truth. I think it's important that we realize that uh, even, even ungodly, unsaved people can... Uh, proclaim truth in one degree or another. Maybe it's maybe it's through art. Maybe it's through science. Maybe it's through uh, mathematics or sociology or whatever other possible field you can think of. There can be truth discovered and revealed and expounded on by those who are not in relationship with the Lord and are not under the blood of Jesus. So let's be open to truth uh, regardless of the source. Uh, if it rings true, if it doesn't contradict the uh, clear teaching of Scripture, let's be open and receive truth from whatever source it may come. Wherever we see truth, beauty, and goodness is somehow coming from the heart of God. That's, he is the source of all truth, beauty, and goodness. In this passage, it says that Paul left Jerusalem for Damascus, that he was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. <clears throat> so, actually, he referred to as Saul in this passage. Saul was uh, intent upon finding anyone who would proclaim to be following the teachings of Lord Jesus, of Jesus Christ. Uh, anyone who claimed that 
Christ had been risen, had raised from the dead. Uh, he was looking for those to arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem to probably be put to death. Uh, but the Lord stopped him in his tracks, didn't he? Uh, he, uh, he didn't reach Damascus. He, didn't ever, he never fulfilled his mission. Uh, the Lord spoke to Paul, but interestingly enough, Paul didn't know who it was. He didn't recognize his voice. He asked, Who are you, Lord? Um, even though he, it would have to be said he was a devout Jew. And uh, I think there are other cases in scriptures when people, when the, when the Lord spoke to someone either through a vision or through an angel. And uh, even though it was before their acknowledging Jesus as Lord, they recognized who it was. But in, for whatever reason, Paul didn't, didn't know for sure. And he said, who are you? In Philippians, and looking back on his pre-Christian life, uh, his life before he came to believe Jesus was Savior, uh, he describes it in Philippians 3, verses 4 and 6. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcise the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. I think we can we can draw from this that regardless of how religious somebody might be, regardless of what uh, how devout they may be, <clears throat> intent on uh, doing the right thing, if they're not in relationship with the Lord Jesus, then they may not recognize His voice. Jesus answered Paul's question and told him who he was and then but he only gave him instructions for the immediate next step to uh, proceed on into Damascus uh, then he says you will be told what you are to do oftentimes when the Lord speaks to us he doesn't reveal everything he only gives us enough information for what we need to take the next step and then expects us uh, to hear his word, to, to listen and to then obey what he's given us to do. Sometimes the Lord's words will inspire us and motivate us. Sometimes the word the Lord speaks to us will cause us to check up uh, possibly to examine our course of thought, course of action and to re-examine it and to choose a different direction to realize that we were heading off either on a tangent or completely in the wrong direction and the Lord will speak to us and save us from making a bigger fool of ourselves and uh, get us back on the straight and narrow path the second time the Lord spoke, he spoke to Ananias in Damascus. Ananias recognized the voice of the Lord, and he said, Lord, here I am. Here I am, Lord. 
the word the Lord gave to Ananias was a challenging word. It stretched him. He was like, you what? You want me to do what? You want me to go to find Saul of Tarsus, this man who's been, who's known for arresting and persecuting members of the church? <clears throat> so oftentimes I think when we hear, when we truly do hear the voice of the Lord, He's going to be, it's going to be difficult to hear it. It's going to be challenging to believe it and to obey it and to receive it. But whether it is or not, in the end, once we have made that decision and once we have been obedient, once we have allowed that word to take root in our heart, I think it will always produce fruit. It will always result in affirmation, affirmation of our sonship or daughtership in the family of God, a fulfillment of our purpose in our life here in this world, of being a, a, an instrumental part of the kingdom of God. It will fill our heart with peace, and with joy, and with hope. So thinking about how God leads us and directs us. Uh, while I was on our retreat at Gethsemane that Sandra and I took, I, uh, I took time, I, I don't always do this, but I took time to reread any journaling, any recording that I did of, our pre of my previous experiences on uh, retreats to Gethsemane. And uh, in doing so, I came across uh, a vision statement. Uh, it's different than a vision from the Lord, isn't it? But it's it was my my vision of the mission of the of this parish uh, from about I think it was around 2007 when I first wrote it. <clears throat> and so uh, I spent some time reading it. And uh, what I wanted to do is just ask you to pray with me. I'm, I'm going to ask some, give you some direction on how to pray based off of the of that statement that I wrote back then. There's really nothing I will change. I would change in that statement. But uh, one of the things, that, the very first thing I expressed was was this desire to have deeper community. So I ask you to pray to the Lord and ask him to speak to us individually and corporately. What can we do to experience deeper community where we make a sincere effort to share our lives and our faith together? So that's the first thing. What can we do to share our lives and faith and experience a deeper community together? What needs to change? What can we do to grow in our faith and our passion for the Lord Jesus Christ? Has our spiritual walk become stale? Has it become distracted into other arenas, into other areas that has uh, not been uh, clearly what the Lord wants for us? Uh, what can we do to encourage each other to practice the ancient spiritual disciplines on a regular basis, either individually or corporately. 
you know those those ancient ancient spiritual disciplines such as uh, finding a way and I, I don't do this very well even though we do try to do the annual retreats but in my day-to-day -day life I seldom ever make space for silence and solitude uh, I seldom put on my calendar to you know to take us a, a half a day Saturday and just uh, go out in the woods or go out on a lake or whatever and have some quiet times and personal solitude uh, but that's just one of the disciplines one or two that's silence and solitude is two of them but there are many others uh, contemplative prayer um, fasting something we we all shudder at the thought of but it's biblical it's, Jesus talked about it something that should be a part of our life uh, and on and on I could go down the list of the disciplines but uh, how can we encourage each other to practice the disciplines on a regular basis either individually or together corporately what can we do to enable each one to study the scriptures and other material other material that brings light to truth uh, and more in depth to study them in a way that will help us learn how to apply truth to our daily lives and I'm discovering more and more that uh, there's so many resources out there. There are Bible reading plans of every kind. There's YouTube videos of, of teaching and of sermons. And then there's podcasts of every possible flavor, both Christian and non-Christian, both good and bad. But uh, there's just a lot of resources available to us because of all the technology we have today. And uh, Although that technology, I think, overall, its effect on our culture has been negative, it can be used in a very positive way, in a very helpful way. But it takes uh, discipline, it takes being intentional, it takes uh, making a decision to use it, seeking truth, beauty, and goodness. What can we do to create an atmosphere where worship is spirit-led and guided by the liturgy, where prayer is viewed as an essential part of the faith? Well, obviously, it would be much desirable if we had an in-person worship team. Uh, but until that day comes, we'll try to use uh, maybe different, try different uh, methods of... Uh, leading us in our worship what we did today or what we're doing today is a an experiment using a youtube instead of what we've been doing in the past which is us just uh downloading the music and and uh having it <coughs> having it downloaded for whatever rate we just want to we want to do our best to create an atmosphere that is worshipful that allows us to be led by the spirit and guided by the liturgy. What can we do to promote an environment where everyone is treated with respect and spiritual authority is taught and practiced? What can we do to establish an atmosphere where each individual's gifts and callings are affirmed and direction is provided for developing ministries that fit into the overall vision of this parish? 
What can we do to form us into a congregation where the sacramental and spirit-filled view of life is embraces the normal Christian experiences? A life that produces hope in this world. What can we do to reach a, a cross-section of this community to, to create a, a, a parish where there is where we have a, a common understanding that it's only God's grace that has brought us to this place. It's only His grace that has uh, brought the good news into our life. And it's His love, it's because we've experienced His love that we have anything to offer to those who are lost, wounded, living in deception and bondage, who are depressed and without hope. How can, we, how can we find those people and reach out to them and communicate to them in a way that will be helpful? How can we communicate to those that we have the opportunity to teach that there are two kingdoms in conflict in this world and that we've been called to engage the enemy on behalf of our king? I think this is an important part that's getting very uh, confusing in many ways. Uh, the battle is not against people. It's not individuals that we're to view as our enemy, but it's against powers and principalities. Just to, to drive this point home, uh, there's an excerpt from a, from a preacher named Jonathan Martin that I've come across, and he says it so much more powerfully than, than I can. We're going to listen to about four minutes of this sermon. Here we are in, in this Babylon. Here we are with these systems trying to discern what it is to live faithfully and how it is to live faithfully. And, uh, you know, as those of you who are church leaders know, and I know a lot of people here are, it's becoming increasingly difficult to know how to speak about these things. Because, and not that we're doing this right, but I do think a lot of us in this room, we are striving, however imperfect, imperfect we may be doing so, we are striving to find some kind of a kingdom framework and a Jesus framework to speak about these things. But we live in a world that's entirely established on this grid of conservative and liberal and right-left. And so matter, no matter what we say or what we do, everybody's trying to figure out where we are on that grid. Now, when you're attempting to live in the reality of the kingdom, which is the only thing Jesus really talked about, the gospel of the kingdom, the only gospel that is, is the gospel of the kingdom. When you're attempting to build your life on the gospel of the kingdom, you know, after a while, you just... We don't care about those categories. We're not supposed to. It, just, it doesn't matter to us. We don't think that way. But everybody's trying to peg us. And right now is an especially disorienting time for a lot of us because we don't, we don't know what to do with that. The, the goalpost has moved. There's a lot I could say about that grid of conservative and liberal. I hate the words. hate the words right and left at this point. You know, at least historically, even if we talk about these things in a political sphere, what was meant, for the most part, it's more loaded than this, but I think this is a pretty fair basic definition, it was about the size and the scope of government. But we have some people who come to our church 
who believe in a really small, limited government because they don't trust institutions and structures. Well, hey, you can hold that position and be a faithful follower of Jesus. But we also have people coming to our church who believe that what it is to follow Jesus is to combat injustice on a structural level and leverage systems and all that. You can hold that position and be a faithful follower of Jesus. The trouble now, (laughs) the conversations we used to have were things like, Whose responsibility is it to take care of, of the poor? What, what is the role of the church? What is the role of the government? Is there a role for, for both? Those are the kind of conversations that we used to have. But now in a time where this demonic, dehumanizing rhetoric becomes more and more common, is that we're not having conversations about who should take care of the poor. We're actively vilifying the poor. We're demonizing refugees and immigrants. We're demonizing whole swaths of people that we somehow deem to be other. And I don't feel like that I've moved as a hillbilly Pentecostal, as I self-refer, to some, ex- some kind of weird form of liberal theology when I say, as a Christian, you don't get to do that. You don't get to vilify the poor. You don't get to dehumanize people that are made in the image of God. You don't use language like animals. You don't talk about infestation. Try reading Father Greg Boyle's last two books, starting with Tattoos in the Heart, and see what it looks like when gang members come to understand what it is that they are created in the image of God. That's what the kingdom looks like in the world. So now we're living in this weird moment. So, hillbilly Pentecostal, I finally discovered who I am. That, that fits me pretty good, Hillbilly Pentecost. He makes a very valid point that bothers, it's been bothering me, and I hadn't known how to express it and put it into words, but uh, it's, I hope to never um, say anything during a sermon from the, from, from the pulpit, quote-unquote, uh, that would be deemed political. But I just want us to be careful of uh, the positions we take that can be clearly in violation of the the teachings of Christ. And I think he hit the nail on the head as far as uh, seeing every human as an image bearer of God and uh, don't fall into the trap of, of discounting anyone because we don't like uh, their identity. So it's a kingdom battle. Uh, We're in the midst of a war, uh, but it's a war that's fought in the spirit, not in against flesh and blood. And even more importantly, much of that battle is internal within us. It doesn't even matter. None of that even matters. What's important is is does our insides match our outsides? Does our behavior when we're all alone line up with our declarations when we're together with uh, those who we respect, those who we want to be uh, accepted and respected by? And that is 
uh, the most important battle and one that is constantly ongoing and I don't think we ever arrive completely at, at that goalpost but uh, it is a kingdom battle in within our hearts how do we communicate to this community that each life has a purpose and we know each life has a divine destiny because we know that we were not redeemed with pure, perishable things like silver and gold from our futile way of life inherited from our forefathers but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless the blood of Christ that's 1 Timothy 1 18 and 19 the futile way of life describes every secular person who has yet to believe. But the blood of the Lamb is just as much shed for them as it was for us. So just remember to be listening. And when you hear the voice of the Lord, respond, Here I am, Lord. Be ready to be stretched and then listen and obey. Amen. Let's uh, stand together and declare a common faith in the Nicene Creed on page 358.